the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com for a 90 day free trial while we stay on sports hiatus. Then get 40% off your annual subscription. That's $2.99 a month. Again, visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. My name is Mike Giannetti. Let's talk a little bit of football. Then we're going to switch gears, bring in Scott Allen, and finish up this last dance discussion with a really nerdy, in-depth, mathematical, team-building look at the 97 Bulls, how they were built, how they were paid, how they could have been paid, how they might have stayed together, how they might have transitioned into the next phase of the Chicago Bulls a little better from a financial standpoint. Tons of uh, fun tidbits in there about each player specifically uh, with Scott Allen in just a few moments. Here's where I want to start, though. It's early because things are virtual and there's the NFL players aren't actually in many camps right now inside of their team facilities. When the cat is out, the mouse will play, right? Plenty of arrests here, unfortunately, in the NFL. Cody Lattimore... The Giants and Seahawks situation. Not going to get into the details of the reports. Uh, the one I want to hit on the most is that Oliver, the Bills defensive tackle who's on his rookie contract, it's a fully guaranteed rookie contract. Here's what I want to say about this, because it's actually really, from our standpoint, the most important part of it. Yes, suspensions were, are probably coming, so they're going to lose a, a proration portion of their salary and most likely their signing bonus as well. Generally, the signing bonus is, is definitely taken away for drug-related arrests or, or suspensions. Um, but in a lot of cases, any kind of personal conduct means losing 117th of your salary per game suspended and then a 117th proportion prorated version of your signing bonus as well. So those things are probably coming for Ed Oliver at the minimum. Uh, the other personal conduct issues may be handled differently, but they'll definitely be losing money if they, they're suspended. The big thing with Ed Oliver is the fact that his fully guaranteed contract hinges on the, pa- on, the, on the fact that he is not suspended. The second he is suspended for drugs, for, for uh, arrests, things like that, these rookie contracts void suspensions. We saw it with Leonard Fournette, who was suspended for basically team conduct. His salaries for this year, last year and this year, were non-guaranteed because of that suspension automatically avoids it. It doesn't mean he loses the money, okay? He's not, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver is not forfeiting $6.8 million. He's going to forfeit one-seventeenth of his $1.4 million salary per game suspended, which is a minimum of two. My guess is he probably gets four because of the multiple infractions. So that's money out of his pocket. But he, like I said, he's got $6.8 million guaranteed remaining on this contract over the next three seasons with the Bills. The second he's suspended, that will void, meaning... If they trade him or if they release him, for instance, in after the 2020 season when he's got about five and a half million left, they'll take dead cap on the signing bonus, but they won't have to pay him those salaries. Those, those base salaries can get thrown out of the window because the guarantees kind of completely voided. So that's really something to keep an eye on here as these guys get a really, and, and generally speaking, you know, there's a, agents are getting a lot smarter with this stuff as you get into your veteran contracts and your extensions. To, to proof guard these a little bit, okay, safeguard these, their specific language to, you know, if PEDs are involved, suspension or guarantees can void. But if it's, you know, marijuana arrest or if it's a personal conduct arrest, there might be some leeway, some negotiation to how the, the guarantees can void. It can be suspe- specific once you get into the veteran contracts. But with the rookie contracts, because of how slotted and formatted they are, generally speaking, any kind of suspension, the guarantees void. 
So that's something to keep an eye on with Ed Oliver and hopefully not, but any other uh, situations that come, might arise in the next couple of months. Generally, we're not dealing with these until June. When you get that six weeks, six week hiatus in June up until July, the July camps. But like I said, everything's a little bit early as guys are on their own with their families doing everything virtually. And we've certainly had some instances over the past week or so. So I just wanted to detail how that works going forward. And certainly we'll make note of that on Twitter and on the website as the money actually comes into fruition. Let's talk to Scott Allen about the last dance. Well, most sports are currently at a standstill. It's never too early to start preparing your updated fantasy football draft roster. And there's no better resource than fantasy pros with their flagship draft wizard, Mock Draft Simulator, you can customize any format that your fantasy league plays. Run mock drafts in a matter of minutes against realistic opponents and prepare for any scenario your draft might face. Everything's going to be updated. We've got rookies, we got UDFAs, there's plenty to deal with right now, especially if you're a dynasty draft. And, you know, extensions like Deshaun Watson will matter to you. Get in there, start cranking the numbers out, start figuring out what the heck is about to happen here as we push towards the... Uh, you know, the the preseason schedule and things like that. It's going to come soon, especially with nothing else going on. So keep up with it on Fantasy Pros. Visit fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl today. Get a head start on your competition. Again, that's fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl. All right, welcome back to the show, Scott. The Last Dance, the last episodes of The Last Dance. Of course, that's where we're going to talk today. Um, sad to see it go. Had a lot of great information in there. Um, really got me thinking from a financial standpoint in, you know, not so much contrast compare because it's really impossible. And I, and I can't believe that anybody's even sitting here today trying to compare <laughs> the Jordan era or Jordan specifically to anybody today, but you know, that's going to be the case. Um, but I, it certainly got me up early to do a deep dive on this bulls team. And, you know, I'm sure the question that everybody's taking away and I'm sure we can, you know, you can get into it here is, you know, why did it have to end? Why did they have to get rid of it? Was Phil Jackson that much of a monster? Was was a thirty five year old Jordan that much of a liability? Um, you know what? What about this team did Jerry Krause not want to go forward with? And we can kind of look at the roster in ninety seven, look at the financials a little bit, um, and we've got some tidbits about how they got here, where they went after all that fun stuff. But just to, from a from a philosophical standpoint, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think he. Um he probably saw the writing on the wall. I, I, I think he realized that having paid Jordan uh, $33 million and was probably going to have to up on Pippen and who knows. Uh, I mean, Rodman was a free agent. They ended up signing and trading a bunch of guys. Uh, maybe he saw the, the writing on the wall that it was time to move on, even though at the end Jordan said, you know, I, I'd come back on another one year deal. And, and, but maybe he, maybe he didn't want to go one more. Maybe he was trying to look long-term instead of these short one-term or uh, one-year deals with all these guys. Uh, you can only, you can only speculate. You know, I mean, yeah. So let's speculate a little more because like it didn't work. They won 13 games the next year and then 17 and 15 respectively over the next two. So a combined total of about 45 wins over the next three years. So <laughs> if that was his goal, it was to drive it down to the <laughs> bottom. He succeeded. Uh, so I, you know, looking back, I bet he would take one year deals right now. My, my guess, and I, I, I phrased it the way I did on purpose is 
it was all or nothing from Phil Jackson. They, yeah. can, they can say that Jordan was, you know, obviously the biggest piece of this puzzle from the player standpoint, but it seems like Phil was bigger. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem it does. like, because Jordan wasn't, Jordan wasn't coming back without Phil. We know that we knew that episode one, I believe. Yeah, uh, we did. And it was said a bunch of times. So the fact that Phil Jackson quote unquote could have gone 82 and O and still wouldn't be back. That was it. That was it. And, and Jordan, uh, I wonder if there was a little bit of showmanship there at the end where he said, you know, I was never offered a contract. I would have loved to come back. I would have played on a one-year deal. I'm sure I could have got Scotty back, but they sort of left out. <laughs> they, they, they cut to Phil and Phil gave his, you know, they offered me a deal. I declined it. I thought it was a time, good time to break. Then they went to Jordan for his take, but those two things were very much intertwined, even though the, the documentary didn't make it as such. You know what I mean? It was, here's mm-hmm. Phil's point of view, here's Jordan's point of view, and the headline is, Jordan would have taken another contract, of course. And that's what the, doc, that's what the director wanted you to take away, was that it didn't have to end here. But it did, because Phil left. <laughs> and that's my point. And I think that's the only point. I don't think... I thought I don't think you were going to see Michael Jordan playing for Tim Floyd. No, Clearly, I don't think so. Or you would have. To, to, yeah. There's no way. There's no way, and there's no way, by the way, that Jerry Reinsdorf didn't at least discuss a new contract with Michael Jordan. That had to happen, even though we didn't see it, and Reinsdorf didn't say it, and Jordan didn't say it. It had to have happened. Nobody's that idiotic just to say, "Yeah, we'll, we'll throw a billion dollars out the door," because our GM wants it that way. Nobody wants that. So to me, it was fill or nothing. And I, I have to say this. It's a miss that there isn't a Phil Jackson documentary right now on the heels of this. I agree. It's a 100% miss. Yeah. You have us, you, you roped us in, you, you, you built this up perfectly and kept it pretty focused on Jordan. I mean, there's a lot of Robin, really nice Steve Kerr segment, which I thought, man, you and I talked about him last week. I did not anticipate more coming from Steve Kerr. We got a lot more from Steve Kerr. Um, we did. But like I said, they left us with a Phil Jackson point of view and a Michael Jordan point of view and the closure on Jordan. And now there's, I mean, <laughs> there's 10 more years of Phil Jackson ahead of us still. There's, a, mm-hmm. there's another five championship dynasty with two polarizing NBA players. There's a whole system transfer, right? I mean, he, he got... He got bought by the Knicks for about $50 million just to come and implement the triangle. That's how much that system was worth to, to the city of New York. And then, of course, he, uh, he showed that it worked again in Los Angeles with Kobe and Shaq. But the Zen master side of it, I mean, I mean the effigy burning at the end, th- there's this gigantic piece to fill now that we've been given, and we need the, the, the 80% more. <laughs> So to me, that's the biggest miss. I thought it was a great documentary. It was outstanding to see Jordan get emotional and talk a little bit to this stuff. Of course, it was a little Jordan Homerish. I mean, it was built for Jordan. It was designed and directed for Jordan. So, you know, there's going to be people who are a little ticked off about it. The people who didn't interview your Carl Malone's and your Brian Russell's from Utah, who are, of course were were negatively spun in this, rightfully so. But so it it swung towards Jordan, of course, but. <laughs> You could have given us four episodes now just on Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you could have. And we would Absolutely. have been all in. So to me, that's the biggest well, takeaway. Well, I th- I, and going back to going one more year, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I agree. 
it all falls back on Phil. Jordan says that he would go one more year and you could probably persuade Scotty to go one more year, but I don't know how true that would be. I'd like to know Scotty's perspective because he kind of got burned with the whole extension and, you know, I want to be traded and that whole thing that was like an entire episode. So, but I don't even think it was money, Scott. I I think it was, I think as bad as Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause were relationship wise, I think Scotty and Jerry Krause were even worse. I, yeah. And and that's probably what you're saying that the, the, the trade me, don't trade me kind of stuff. Bridges had been burned. Totally. Yeah, totally. So, to, to assume that Scotty would come back for one more year amidst that mess, but also take a gigantic pay cut to do it. Uh, he, he, he better really love Michael Jordan <laughs> for that to happen. Uh, let's talk about this 97 roster. Cause I, uh, I spent a bunch of time this morning, really, really just kind of hammering through it. Um, and then we can kind of use that to talk about how maybe it could have happened in 98, even though I think we're both on the fence with that, uh, maybe teetering heavily one way, uh, so, so I guess let's, let's do many career perspectives here just to get us to the 97 season, which is essentially what the documentary did. But I, I understand they left out a lot of the numbers because maybe Jordan didn't want them there. Maybe they thought people didn't care. They were wrong there, by the way, they were dead wrong. <laughs> they could have supplemented this documentary with numbers left and right. And not just, I'm not talking stats. I'm talking money. Anytime mm-hmm. you bring money into it and we're obviously biased to that, but anytime you bring money with any kind of sports documentary right now, more people get engaged. And it's not just because they care about, you know, the millions. It's because a lot of times what they don't make, and that's what this team was known for. And that's what they missed in those first two episodes. We had a show about ourselves, the lack of, you know, Jordan wasn't the the top paid player, even when he won his first championship, Scotty was never the uh, up near the top, never. Um, Even when he went to Houston on that sign and trade. So let's just sort of talk about how we got here. Uh, we'll start with Jordan. Obviously, the number three overall pick. There's no rookie wage scale. There's no slotted values. Jordan's contract is going to be different from every other contract that's signed in that first round. That's just a fact. It's how the Bulls valued him. It's sort of the wild, wild west with how these things were structured. Uh, he essentially gets a it's a five year deal plus two club options, which that's a lot. And that has since changed. Now, now we're looking at what is it? Three, three plus two. Uh, two plus two. It's two plus twos. Okay. Two plus mm-hmm. twos. So that's come down quite a lot in terms of a normal rookie contract. Uh, he, he ends up playing, I believe four of them. Is that right? Yeah. Before he's extended, he plays four years and then uh, rips up that fifth year, turns it into an eight year, $25 million extension, which at the time was fine. It, it was just about on par. He was, mm-hmm. this was 1988. He hadn't been to any championships yet. He's, he'd certainly been an all-star and, uh, you know, this was the era where you could understand that he was going to be one of the, one of the better players that we've ever seen, but he didn't have the winning to sort of back that up yet. So this was just a kind of a standard long-term good contract for him. And Oh, by the way, he was unindated with, um, endorsements at this time as well, which we laid out at last week or so 90, he starts to win the 99 seasons when he starts to win. He goes through the first three as the documentary laid out nicely. And then he walks away. He walks away because of the relationships uh, for a lot of reasons, really. His his father dying. He had an interest in other things. He had made a promise to his father that he really wanted to try baseball at some point. So this was the time to do it. Got a couple of tidbits here on the baseball side of it, Scott. Um, Number one is the Bulls continue to pay him. 
So he walks mm-hmm. away. He goes to he goes to spring training. He makes the the double uh, A farm team for the White Sox. He's probably making peanuts, maybe a hundred, you know, maybe not even a hundred thousand dollars on a true minor league contract. I, I would be surprised if it was that high back in '94. Um, but he he makes four million dollars from the Bulls. He is paid through all this process. It's probably a matter of good faith more than anything. You know, you're certainly not yeah, going to probably renounce, you're not going to renounce Jordan's rights at that point. We'll get to that, by the way, but not not at this point. So they continue to pay him. Baseball goes on. Str- oh, here's the here's the tidbit. So he goes to the White Sox, obviously, which is from a geographical standpoint makes sense. And and Jerry Reinsdorf owns the White Sox. <laughs> so there was, there was a logical transition from one piece to the other there. Sandy Alderson, who I know very well from my uh, Mets fandom here, was the GM of the A's at the time. This is before the uh, this is before all the Moneyball stuff comes in. Um, he's the GM of the A's. He calls David Falk, Michael Jordan's agent, and basically says, on a whim, without any conver- conversation, without having seen him at all, just just understands what Jordan in baseball is going to be, and uh, thinks he'll you know thinks he'll be at least. I, I believe in the article I read, he said, "I realize he's probably nothing more than a Double A player, and that's how the White Sox value him. But we will put him on our twenty-five man roster immediately from day one." He will get a, he'll get a wow. major league contract and, and make the 25 man roster for the Oakland athletics today. If he signs with us. So, you know, that adds sort of to the circus of this all, because certainly he wasn't good enough for that. Now maybe he was good enough to mm-hmm. make the A's at that point. I don't know. This was around the Conseco McGuire era. If I have to do the math, right. I believe it was on. Oh, it was, it was after that actually. So it's after that. So they're, they're probably looking for some, uh, some marketability at that point. So it makes sense. But we know he wasn't that good of a baseball player. But just a little tidbit there. Obviously, baseball goes on strike that August, carries through. And he decides it's a better move for him to go back to the Bulls at that point, which I thought the documentary did a nice job on that. But I think it's important to note, Scott, and it was something we had to hash out when we uh, kind of dove into the Bulls, that he did continue to get paid from them, which is that's yeah. rare. That's not common. So... Yeah, it is. And the fact, like you said, when he did leave, that they didn't renounce his rights or anything. They'd let the contract be as is, as if, you know, a, a fail safe in the event that Michael does come back. He's still under contract. We have him locked up for the years that we have them at that point. What, two more years? So, I mean, it, it was kind of some good foresight in saying, no, we're just going to keep it as is for the time being. Totally. I'm just going to do a quick inflation value here. Let's see. Okay. $3 million in 1988 would be $6.5 million today. Here's my question to you. Because, you know, we just had Ben Simmons, for instance, signed mm-hmm. his rookie extension. And we had, a, you know, a couple of kids this offseason – a few more, I believe Embiid was last off season or last October, right up to, up to that deadline. Yep. These guys are getting about 27 million, right? What is it? Yeah. It's 25% of the cap at that point. Is that the number, Scott? 25%. 25% of the cap. That's what the new CBAs have, have elicited, which is your second contract can be no more than 25% of the cap, but on a max, it is 25% of the cap. Yes. Yeah, Sim- Simmons will be at 29, a little over 29 so as of right now, <laughs> and, and generally speaking, 
you get three contracts, three sizable contracts in the NBA if you're a player, if you're a career, you know, a long-term career player. Yeah, that's uh, fair. And then you can kind of control your destiny at that point, and that's what we've seen. We've seen a lot of these superstars take the money and then sort of control things from a one- to two-year standpoint after that. I guess my point is this. This, to me, is where the Bulls messed up. This is where the Bulls messed up because we all know what happens after this. We all know that Jordan comes back, <laughs> he finishes his contract, and then he, de- he demands a balloon. He demands 30, and then he demands yep. 33. And mm-hmm. at, it, it's at that point where this documentary starts, and you see Jerry Cross basically saying, I can't do this anymore. We're done. There's no way I can afford Jordan's demands, knowing Pippen's demands are coming, and, and to keep you know a guy like Kerr in the fold as well would be just too, too rich on a, on a salary cap that was $26.9 million in 1997. So you can imagine. But this is where they messed up right here in 1988 when they gave him a contract worth $3 million a year, $3.2 million a year. And that's, what, that's the difference between basketball then and basketball now. Basketball then, that was what you did. There was a percent increase you gave them over their rookie contract because you could give them more on, your, on the rookie. We saw plenty of rookies make a lot of money. In fact, we're going to talk about Tony, Tony Kukoc, excuse me, who made plenty of money on his rookie contract. Um, so things changed quickly in a matter of about five years because Kukoc was just about four years after this. But the Bulls giving him eight years at $3.2 million a year in 1988, that screwed the pooch for them. And it really did. It, it set them up for, okay, Jordan's, Jordan's going to, can only take so much of this, right? He can only take so much. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, think Dak Prescott right now. He can only take so much of this only. The, and that's essentially what happened to, to, to the bulls and Michael Jordan. They kept them. They, they held them on a string on these ridiculous value salaries for t- 10 years. My goodness. And then they franchise tagged him. That's what this was. Mm. And then they yeah, franchise tagged him again. It was, yeah, it was a Kirk Cousins double franchise tag to make up for a bunch of crazy value salaries. They flipped this thing backwards. If they had paid Jordan in 1988, before any of this winning started to happen, you could have satisfied that part of his career immediately. I understand Gatorade and Nike were paying him a, an S load of money. He certainly didn't need to supplement any income with the NBA. Okay. This was just chump changes him. This was drive fly to Vegas and gamble money for him, but it's a matter of precedence. And it's why you see so many of these rookies taking their max deals now and then stringing out their careers a little longer on one year deals or, or, you know, Iguodala is joining up later with teams on minimum contracts, Tim Duncan doing what he did with the state to, to remain with the bulls on, on small salaries to make sure that, that the kids could get paid. All these little, you know, instances across the sports history where if a guy's made so X, X amount of money, then he feels less obligated to break the bank in a situation that really doesn't account for it. And the 97 Bulls could have done things a lot differently if Jordan wasn't making $33.14 million. It's just a fact. He was making 54% of their salary cap in 1997. That's astronomical. Mm-hmm. That's astronomical. All right. And, and I, I, I truly, I truly think that the, that the bulls and their front office who demanded so much credit throughout this entire era. And we saw it on the documentary repeated times and they did, a, they did a hell of a job bringing in the right players, the complimentary players for Jordan. There's no question about that, but they screwed the pooch on Jordan's second contract. And I firmly believe that. 
Well, I, I'll look at it from a, from a different standpoint. Uh, the, the eight years, 25.7 million. Couldn't you equate that to what we're seeing in baseball right now? These guys that are going up for their second contract, essentially they're signing these eight year, 10 million or eight, 10 years, but it's only a hundred million or 80 million or something like that, where we're like, wow, they could have gotten way more than they're taking. So I almost feel like from Jordan's standpoint, maybe he was offered eight for 25.7 and was like, oh man, I'm taking that because if I throw in $25.7 million in 1988, that looks like $56 million now. So uh, I think from, from a Jordan standpoint, who's Scott LeBron James is going to make $56 million a year <laughs> soon. I, I get that. But, but, but I mean, the inflation argument doesn't hold up. It's worth six it's, and a half million a year right now. That's the 19th player on a roster. <laughs> right. But I'm trying to say from, from Jordan's standpoint, you offer him back then You're in right. 1988 for 26 million. Of course, he's going to take it because he doesn't know where things are going to go. And where hindsight is 2020 when we can look back and see he won six championships and, uh, all the accolades that he had, of course we would expect him to have made more money than he did. But at the time him being, uh, what he was 25 years old and you're getting offered $26 million. Yeah. You're going to take that. Um, mm. so I, if I go from that standpoint, I think you, you could look at it both ways, but I think you're, you're, idea of the inflation of 30 million and then 33 as uh, the franchise tag. Uh, it's an interesting point back then there, the maximum was 99 million. So yeah. they could have technically offered him up 60 million. If they wanted to, they went with 30. Uh, so just a little context, because I don't want to sound like we're just throwing numbers out there. Jordan's first salary in, in 88, there was 2 million. Um, that's fifth in 1988. I'm looking at a list of 1988 salaries. The highest salary in the league was Patrick Ewing at 3.25. So, so it was certainly, and look again, I'll say it again. They hadn't won anything. He had just sort of lifted the franchise to, you know, playoff capabilities. He was certainly winning dunk contests and, and, and also, you know, all-star bursts at this point. And you could see what was coming, but you can't, you can't sit here and blame the bulls for not, blowing the doors off with this contract because again, there were, there were no rings to correlate here, but can you imagine in this day and age, that player not getting the, at least the top salary in the league? Oh yeah. Isn't definitely. that, isn't that at least a compromise for this conversation? Think about a quarterback. Yeah. Think about Dak Prescott. Yep. Yep. If he doesn't get $35.1 million and take over Russell Wilson, it, it'll be wrong. In, in a lot of people's eyes because the quarterback who has proven that he's a franchise quarterback, there's a next man up sort of unwritten policy for it. Certainly with ba- basketball superstars, here's the list. Patrick Ewing, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Robert Parrish, and then Jordan. At least you could have put him at 3.25 and, and tied him with Ewing in my opinion. Yeah. In my yeah. opinion. So, it's at least yeah, it's at now, least a little bit smaller than it should have been, but in this day and age, it would have been five million a year. 
Yeah, because now now guys are getting paid for what they're projected to do. Not that they weren't back then, yeah. but I mean, we're seeing we're seeing players get maximum salaries that probably shouldn't, or you know, if they were on a different team, probably wouldn't get yeah, the a, maximum. It's salary. a different conversation, but it is a flawed system. Absolutely, it's a flawed system. It's an easier system to project and interpret because it is slotted. Um, although if the salary cap drops next year, we're going to have a lot of people arguing about it, <laughs> yes. um, but, but don't you think on the flip side, it, it's a flaw on Michael's side for taking eight years and not yeah, saying well, I'm only going to do four. You're preaching to the choir on that one. I mean, me and long contracts are about as bad a relationship as you can get here. So it, it took a lot of years for these athletes to figure that out, that control, you know, they were going to get paid no matter what, and they, they could control their destiny. And a lot of the conversation we're having here is, you know, and, and I'm sure a lot of the good sports people out there this, this morning are waking up saying, can you imagine that bull situation right now in a situation where so many players can do basically whatever they want to do? Can you imagine an organization and then essentially a league saying to Jordan, yeah, we have no room for you anymore. You're done. Nobody else signed him. Nobody else yeah. really even tried to sign him because nope. they, they were under the belief that Jordan was done and that was it. And, uh, that just wouldn't be the if, case. I mean, not, not today. I mean, we saw that with a rod, <laughs> Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan would be banging down Jerry Ryan's Ryan's door saying, whatever it takes to sign Phil Jackson, you're going to sign Phil Jackson. Cause I want to play more ball and that's what it's going to take. And it would have gotten done. It would have gotten well, done. <laughs> even from the standpoint that I just said with, with a rod, I mean, yeah. if you would have 29 other teams saying, come play one more year with me because we yeah. know your value just to get people in seats. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. But I don't know. Just, it's just my take on it. Um, I don't want to give Jerry Krause too much or too little credit. I want to give him credit for the players that he, that he brought in. And I want to give him no credit for the way that he structured the money. Absolutely none. Because yeah. There are ways to make everything work. You were already going over. No matter what you were going to do, you were going over. And we can talk about, the, I mean, Sam Smith, the great reporter in Chicago who, who wrote the book Jordan Rules and was featured uh, predominantly in this documentary. We're going to talk a little bit about his take back in the day, back in 1997. He, he put an article in the Chicago Tribune that basically said, this is what the Bulls can do to not only keep this band together for that last dance, but also do it financially speaking that is beneficial to them going forward, whether this team stays together or not. His look was basically, we don't have to destroy everything, go all in like the Indianapolis Colts are doing right now, by the way, right? We don't have to do that. We don't have to build this superstar team with gigantic salaries and then blow it all up and start from scratch. There's a way to temper the finances, keep everybody happy and then push forward. However, it's going to happen. So we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But I, I just think at no point in time did Jerry Krause even consider that process. He was all or nothing. He was all yeah, or nothing. Was. And the second he had to go all in on Jordan, he was done with it. And I, I understand that money was probably the last part of that puzzle, that it was probably just from a human standpoint, the relationships were bad with all of these big figures. You know, and, and while... Reinsdorf and certainly Phil Jackson could handle, could handle the egos. Certainly the crazy with, with Rodman. Krauss wanted to know part of it. He wanted structure. He wanted uh, reliability. He wanted to be able, he wanted control. 
really wanted mm-hmm. control, not only over the numbers, but over the people that, that, that were receiving those, those dollars. Um, and he sucked at that. He really did. He didn't play the game. He didn't play ball and he didn't use the numbers to make that better. And that is what so many good GMs right now are doing. There are ways to massage this and it's money. The answer to everybody's problems is money. You could have given Scotty Pippen a five-year, $25 million extension. $5 million a year would have done it. It would have done it. <laughs> it. It didn't have to be gigantic numbers. It didn't. Jordan's second no. contract didn't have to be $100 million. It just didn't. It could have been 50. It could have easily been 50. You could have gone eight for 48 or something like that along those lines and double, made him twice the highest paid player in the NBA because that's what we expect him to be because we know what kind of worker he is. So we expect to get to that point. We expect that money to be worth it for us. To me, that is, you're right. It's about paying forward when for so long, these other sports paid back, right? Albert Poulos hit 400 home runs. We got to pay him <laughs> $250 million now, right? Well, that's not the way to do it, but the way to do it. And the bulls had the opportunity to do it was to pay Jordan forward, advance his money. Pay him for what you know is coming because you know what kind of player you have from the inside out. Pay him now. Make him happy. Get it out of the way so that you can make this thing work from a more long-term standpoint, financially speaking, and keep every other piece of this puzzle happy. Cross didn't do it. He didn't even try to do it. He tried to fix it with franchise ta- essential franchise tags at the end of this, uh, end of this, and the egos got in the way, and, and it all blew up. So there's no need to really dive down that anymore. I just think that's a, that was a big miss in this documentary was really yeah, diving into that. the numbers because you could have had people way smarter than me. I'm not, I'm not an MBA financial guru by any means, but I've certainly put my time in here to kind of understand how this all worked. And if I'm wearing my GM hat, my sort of global sports GM hat, that's the miss. The miss is that they yeah. didn't precede this. Well, and on top of that, I don't even think they mentioned 30 million or 33 yeah, million. The, a little the bit. Balloons. A little bit, a little, but I, my guess but, is Jordan didn't enough. want to talk about it. Cause there, I mean, there was yeah. no mention of, of any of the endorsement money outside of the fact that he almost didn't choose Nike. Um, that was sort of something that you and I supplemented on our shows, which I know was, uh, kind of made the rounds and we're happy to talk about that. That's right in our wheelhouse. And it's also super interesting, which is why I think it's a bit of a, uh, a shame that they kind of left that stuff out, but I'm sure there'll be plenty more on Jordan. We'll see. Um, all right. What else on Jordan? Anything else? I mean, we can talk about his well, comeback he, and, and yeah, go ahead. He, he, he unretired and then he went and played with the wizards on two, uh, two years of minimum salaries. And I mean, we know how that went. Actually, Scott, before we do that. Yeah, I know. Hold on. Before we get there, were, were cap holds a thing back then in 1999? Do you know that answer? I believe so. Okay. Because I, it, as I was doing this timeline and I, I kind of built myself a dock of timeline here to, to walk through. So Jordan retires in January of 99 for the second time, the bulls renounced him like 10 days later. Is it because there was a huge cap hold? My guess yeah, is that cap hold would have been percentage based oh. off of that 33 million, right? <laughs> yeah. It would have okay. Been. Because, yeah. because outside, yeah. if there wasn't a cap hold, that's a very in your face renounced. No, that's yeah. That's why they would have re- <laughs> Yeah, that's why they would have renounced it to get that off the books. So then they have the space to sign. Yeah, that's why. Fair enough. So, right. Then he goes to the Wizards um, as a front office guy, the president, I think, right? And uh, decides not to retire, play for two seasons. None of that goes well. 
at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, uh, he is way past, he's out of his league from a front office standpoint and he's way past his prime from a playing standpoint. And, uh, he is not only, not only does he walk away for the third time in 2003, but he's also fired in 2003. So then he joins up with Charlotte and the rest is history. Are, are you, are you kind of surprised that he didn't sign like a one day deal to retire as a Chicago bull after coming back from the wizards again, you know, um, I, I, I say it from, was it a thing from, back then? I, I don't know. I just say it from a standpoint of, you know, people come to our site and they see Michael Jordan as a Washington <laughs> wizard wizards. Yeah. and, and, People, we get every so often emails of, oh, Michael Jordan's not a wizard. He's a bull and, you know, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I just wondered from a, from a legacy standpoint as being, you know, from that standpoint, what you thought. And, and maybe it's moot and not a thought no, at all. But I, I actually think it's probably not moot because I think the way that that documentary ended, ended last night probably answers your question. Uh, it obviously still bothers him. <laughs> yeah. 20 years later, it, it bothers him that he wasn't given the chance to go for seven. So, you know, he can say what he wants. He's still, you know, a beloved member of the Chicago community, but I'm guessing he's not too pleased. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put out the fact that, that it's intentional that he didn't do that. It might, yeah. not, it might not have been a thing people were doing. I don't know if Larry Bird did, or I don't know, whatever. But, uh, you know, my guess is Brady will do that. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we're going to end up with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on, on spot track for the rest of our lives, but we'll see. Yeah. It's probably intentional. It's probably, it's a good question because it's probably intentional based on what we found out last night. All mm-hmm. right, let's move on here. Scotty, just real quick. We'll kind of move through this a little quicker because Jordan was the linchpin here. So Scotty's yeah. the number five overall pick two, two later than Jordan, two years later, two picks later, he gets a third of what Jordan got from the bulls. Scotty gets four years, less than three million plus two club options. Jordan again got five years, over six million plus two club options. So right off the bat, <laughs> Scotty's a complimentary player, based on his rookie contract. I mean, it's right there. It's right there in front of you. They have made it very clear that nobody's making more than Jordan out of the gate. Um, he, he and then of course we saw the do- we did see this on the documentary in '91 when he signs his extension after they win the first championship. So that's the difference between Jordan and, and Pippen. We mentioned how Jordan was paid two years prior to that championship. Yeah. For Scotty, it's I'm on my rookie contract. We win in in 1991 and then it's time for me to get paid. And he agrees to this ungodly seven year, $19.4 million extension. Yeah. I, you know, I was looking and comparing, he, he shouldn't have done the seven in hindsight. Well, that's the answer to he, all these. Yeah. Should, but you know, I'm I'm kind of surprised lo- looking at the comparison between Scotty and Michael that they didn't sort of try to align their contracts to these two extensions to end at the same time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, l- little bit of overlap there, which is kind of interesting, especially having with Scotty coming off of that first championship. Yeah, you know, he he knew what they had in front of him right then and there, having that championship. And why, why would you go seven years unless you really, again, needed the money, wanted the money, starstruck by, oh, man, they gave me seven years, almost $20 million. Yeah, I but- mean, uh, Pippen kind of answered that. It was about needing the money. And it was about wanting stability. And that's certainly what the Bulls were selling. They were selling the fact that 
Everybody's got to, you know, it's the Patriots way, right? This is all we can offer you right now in order to keep all of this together. We want to, we want to make this run go for the next five years. So this is as high as we can get to you. Well, that's obviously a bunch of BS as we now know, because there's always money in the banana stand. Um, 2.1 million a year. It's, it's just not even close. It's not even close. I mean, on average, I mean, he, the first year he made seven hundred sixty-five thousand dollars in nineteen ninety-one. That's bottom of the barrel. I mean, that's down with a bunch of second-year rookies. You know, your your top twenty-five. If I'm looking at these salaries properly, we're well, all well over two million dollars a year. So, it's just it's, it's astronomical to win. I mean, you know, I think about it like from Joe Flacco, who I mean, nobody did it better than Joe Flacco. Yeah who decided I'm going to play out my rookie contract just like Pippen did. And I'm going to try to get this thing to the finish line, which he did. He won a Super Bowl in his final year of his rookie contract. And he forced Baltimore to pay him and make him the highest paid player in in football and the history of football at the time. Uh, And that's just not what Pippen did. Pippen was overshadowed by Michael Jordan. And there was, there was clearly a precedence that if Jordan's making X, you're making N and that's how it's going to be. And Mm -hmm. it's just not right. Because, you know, even Jordan himself proved he couldn't do it alone. He needed at least one or two complimentary players at all times. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the nature of basketball. So the fact that you couldn't pay two players prominently at any point in time, just it's wrong. It was wrong. And we can flash forward a little bit now after, he, after that seven-year extension, which he ended up playing out 100% all seven years. They won five titles in those seven years of his contract. And he made $19.4 million for it. It's that's just, value. That's hard to say. <laughs> that's really, I feel really, I'm not going to feel bad for anybody making $20 million, but in the grand scheme of things, with all these numbers we talk about every single day, I feel bad for Scotty Pippen because that's yep. a, that's a choke job is what that is from an agent standpoint from a, yeah, the seven years was the problem. <laughs> it, was yeah, the problem. it was, it re- yeah, it really was. Gave him no chance to renegotiate at any point in time. So uh, post yeah, strike. Think, Go ahead. I was gonna say because if you think it, if it would have been a five year deal and he would have ended yeah. at ninety five, and then that ninety six and ninety seven are those two balloons of of Michael's. Yeah. So if Pippen would have went five years and lined it up with Michael Jordan's second contract, they could have both potentially had those balloons of some sort. Maybe, but it didn't seem yeah. like it didn't seem like that's what they were willing to do at any point in time. It sounded like no, it didn't. It sounded like the the Jordan balloons were retribution, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and right. that's why I think I'm dead on that. That second contract should have been the the breadwinner, and then you would have had to make those kind of judgment calls in '96 and '97 just to keep yeah. the best player in the world around. And you could have treated Scotty better. You could have given Scotty five million a year for four or five more years and made everybody happy. And then you could have had Scotty in the leader of your rebuild. You know what I mean? You could have had Scotty and Steve Kerr for three, four more years after Jordan walked away. If he had to walk away in 97 or 98 and you would have had two legitimate complimentary. Oh, and Oh, by the way, Tony Kukoc. (laughs) So you could have literally had, you know, everything but Jordan and Rodman pushing forward. If you had structured this right, if you had staggered and given Jordan his payday earlier, and, and allowed yourself more flexibility from a financial standpoint for Pippen later. Uh, so th- to me, that was a mess. And Jerry Krause is not the greatest GM ever. 
I'm going to put that on the record right now. <laughs> he just isn't. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a more interesting. It came up in the documentary. It's come up in a lot of articles since. It, it's got to be worth talked about because what we've seen, well, Brady, Gronk, um, we saw it with Tim Duncan. We saw it with, I mean, Tony Parker did have to leave, have to leave the dynasty in San Antonio. Whenever you get these long-term dynasties, as it goes on four or five years, there's there, people get anxious, you know, and contracts come up or trade requests come in or, you know, and the, and the talk, especially these days with the media, the talk is who's going to leave, how's it going to get broken up, you know, who's getting traded where, and all these hot stove takes come in. Well, Pippen was the hot stove take. We saw plenty of times that, uh, you know, Krauss went on record before the season and said, we tried to trade him, which is just ridiculous. But we, here's, here's what uh, reportedly the trade was in the 90, what was it the 97 draft? It was, right? It was before the 97 season. So the 97 NBA draft, the Boston Celtics offered two firsts and a first in 99 and were essentially going to, and then the Bulls essentially were in. So this was basically done. It was done. There, was, there were two picks coming to the Bulls from, from Boston, and then the Bulls were going to flip and swap with Denver, who wanted to get up higher in the first round in 97. So there was going to be a, a move from Boston and then a move to Denver, and the Bulls were going to end up with the fifth, the sixth, and the tenth pick in that draft <laughs> after winning the title. Um, <laughs> wow. They would have, based on what we know now from that draft, they would have landed themselves at least Ron Mercer, who could have easily replaced Rodman at that time, mm-hmm. and Tracy McGrady, who, <laughs> you know, in a better setting, who knows? Who knows what kind of career he could have had? But at least those two players would have been pulled over for the Pippen trade. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because it, Certainly they went and won one more time and then it all blew up after that. And there's people who say that they did it exactly right. And they left at the right time. And even if they went for seven, it would be too risky. There are a lot of people who, who put it in under my terms where if they had staggered this, this thing out a little bit more, they could have moved on from Jordan and still had 80% of this nucleus to go, including Pippen. And then there's this third camp that basically said they probably should have done Pippen early because here's what ended up happening. I'll give, you, I'll give you the cause and the effect. They didn't take that Boston trade, so they didn't move Pippen, obviously, before 97. They let him play out 97, won the championship, signed and traded him to Houston for Roy Rogers. <laughs> Wait, I got to get this right. Um, I lost it in my notes here. It's Roy Rogers and a 2000 second-round pick, which ended up being Jake Fush School, Roger, Rogers never played a second for the Bulls, and Vashkul played 143 minutes and was traded next October. Mm, that's brutal. In other words, they got nothing for Scottie Pippen. Yeah, yeah they did. They got nothing. Wow. All they got is not having to pay him $12 million a year for five years. That's what, Wait, they, that's what they get. So where are you in this? I mean, obviously, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and that Boston trade could have been – well, I, I, I guess here it is. Do they take the Boston trade and re- try to rebuild on the fly, knowing Jordan's probably done in 18 to 24 months, but they, prob- but they might not win the 97 title because if they don't have Pippen, right? If it's not Pippen and Jordan and Rodman and, and Longley, then 
we don't know. We don't know if Jordan could have won without Pippen. We just don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's the ultimate gamble for sure. I mean, <laughs> to me, it is, it's 50, 50. I, I, I wish Krause was alive. I wish he was alive I, I, because you have, I to, agree. You have I, to think that's the number one question he, he was going to be asked. Well, I, I, I agree. And I've, I said that when we first started talking about this, when th- these episodes started, imagine if he was there to be answering some of these questions yeah. in this document, being handed the iPad. I, Here's what Jordan just said about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not only that, I would just wonder the take of, you know, is some of what was said, sugar-coated because he wasn't there or, you know, would things be said differently in a different way because he would have been able to have been listening or had rebuttal. Yep. I just think it would be interesting if he was around to have that perspective. Uh, I think in hindsight, how, how do you not take those first round draft picks? Uh, but I can see, the writing on the wall from the fact of, all right, we've got one more year with Pippen. Let's finish off the year and then move on from everybody and rebuild. But like you said, we we see the rebuild didn't do anything. They were not good at all for, for years after that. If I had to guess, Scott, I guess you're right. But I, my guess is that would not have been Jerry Krause's answer. My guess would be Jerry Cross went to Jerry Reinsdorf and said, I have this offer. I want it because obviously him and Pippen were done at that point. They were done. They, yeah, they were. So if I'm Kraus, I'm, I'm loving this deal, but Reinsdorf, Reinsdorf, he, he he doesn't want to move. He had to have nixed it. And if he didn't nix it, Michael Jordan nixed it. Right. And that was just not allowed to come out in this documentary. But one of those two people nixed that deal, because if I'm Jerry Krause and I'm thinking like him, knowing that all these guys hate me anyway, and it's all going to be done in 18 months anyway, I'm making that trade a hundred times out of a (laughs) hundred. I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I know I can get three guys that are going to be dirt cheap that I can just flash forward with. So my guess is Krause would have answered that way. And then you would have had to have Reinsdorf or Michael Jordan come out and say, well, we didn't let it happen because we knew we had one more NS. So it's so fascinating. It it wasn't talked about enough. And I know this was a Jordan documentary and they probably wanted to keep the focus on Jordan as much as possible, but that is because that's a huge, what if, as you laid out there, it's a huge, what if from both standpoints. Yeah. So, well, I mean, if looking forward here, uh, Pippen goes to Houston, then he gets traded again. (laughs) Yeah. He's done. Well, but going back to what my question was with Jordan, yeah. Pippen goes back and re-signs with the Bulls yep. and retires with the Bulls. Yeah, he essentially got some so, retirement pay. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like there was too much animosity, I guess. I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, hmm. but the fact that he went back and he retired with the Bulls, I mean, m- maybe he realized not to take it too personal. I I, I don't know. I, like I said, I don't want to put any words into his mouth because I, I don't know, but I, I just find it interesting. And on top of it, it was two years, 10.3 million. So it's not like he went back on minimum salaries or anything. No, they that's what I mean. It was, it was retribution <laughs> it was because he only played the one year and then he retired and he had, they had to basically take on the last half of that contract as dead cap. Yeah, um, they did. Scott, when, when was that two-year contract? Uh, that two-year contract was Oh three Oh four and then Oh four Oh five. So, so Jerry Krause um, was the GM with the, for the bulls until 2004. 
Oh, Sorry, through 2004. So those were his two last years as GM. So he, I, I, I was, as you were saying that, I was wondering if it was actually him that made the deal. It was him. So he brought Pippen back on a two-year deal, paid him half, let him retire, and then he retired a year later. Wow. Or probably, Interesting. I, wow. Wow. Yeah, that is interesting because you're right. The, the documentary really made it, and Pippen, to be honest, made it sound like that that was completely fractured, that relationship, but that was just a free $10 million is what that was. That's free money. I, I would have loved to have Krause available for this. I know. Ugh, I, I thought of that. I thought of that a, a lot through all the episodes. And, and like I said, I, I brought it up before. I, I just think, you know, that perspective would have potentially changed some of the narrative. Yeah. And I wonder if, yeah, I wonder how Jordan would have navigated it. You know, if he would have had mm-hmm. to have overseen what was said because, you would have wanted that back and forth. You would want it if Krause had been completely open and honest and say that Jordan was a pain in the ass. And, I, you know, we were basically just biting our tongue through this entire six year process. Do, do you think, do you think this documentary came to fruition because I mean, he died back in 2017. So do you think that's interesting? They, they I sort, thought about that. Too, waited. I mean, not to be morbid, but I mean, do you think they sort of waited it out? And I don't, uh, I don't. I think if you ask the director that question, his his response would be, we would have, we would have absolutely loved to be, have done this with Kraus in the fold. My, yeah. I, I know you're speaking, you're asking that question from Jordan's standpoint. I actually, I, am. I actually think Jordan waited to agree to it. A until he was sort of in a, uh, a neutral position. You understand what I'm saying? Like his name yep. was sort of really, it was sort of linked to sneakers and nothing else right now. I mean, even as the owner of the Bobcats, he was, or the Hornets, he was so, uh, I don't know. It, it was almost silent at this point. I mean, you just didn't really hear about or see him much. You've, some of the coaches have obviously referenced him at that point, but I just think it was time, time enough. So that's number one. And number two, Le- LeBron was, <laughs> he was probably sick and damn tired of LeBron at this point. And yeah, LeBron and he don't have a good relationship and it's because Jordan won't allow it because Jordan wants separation. Well, LeBron started to creep into the conversation and now he's in LA and he's got legitimate chance to win two, three more. And basically if I had to guess from, from an, an educated guess, I think Jordan wanted to put a dagger in the middle of this, <laughs> in the middle of this beating heart right now and say, Hey, it's time to not forget about me. Here's what I did. So no matter what he does from here out, just remember this. And, uh, well, and I think that, I, and that latter point I think is spot on because I mean, that's all the conversation has been about, uh, being the goat and all yeah. that. Now. I mean, even more so than it has been in the last few years. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a great point. Yeah. All right. Let's move on quickly to these other guys. The coach stuff is really interesting, Scott. So he's the number 29 pick overall. Remember Jordan was three Pippen was five in the uh, late eighties there, or, or, you know, throughout the eighties there. Who coaches the number 29 pick? Yeah, draft and stash kind of guy. He right. And he goes, he is he does he stay in Europe for two years? Yeah. Is that what he does? That's what I figured. So he stays in Europe for two years. In 93, he decides to come over and sign after the uh the dream team and all that stuff. It's just a great <laughs> incredible stories there. If you haven't seen the dream team documentary, by the way, I think it's done through NBA TV. Make sure you watch the Dream Team documentary because there are so many 
there's so much video, there's so much dialogue between these guys. And there's just a big part of it with Kukoc, who was this sort of darling. And here's why. Here's why. Number one, he was the guy who was going to come in and, and be the young stud to save the old bulls. That's really how he was looked at. And that's how Jordan and Pippen sort of treated him. And number two, his rookie contract was an eight-year, $17.6 million contract that contained a one-year out. <laughs> yeah. It was illegal. But for some reason, they didn't nix this one. They nixed two other contracts that year and called it illegal. Um, but they let this one go. So he made about a million dollars, a little over a million dollars that first year, and then he opted out, which I don't know if that was the right move, by the way. I don't know if that was the right move. I know he went and got six for 24, but that had to get vo- that ended up getting voided because again, they they deemed the opt out and then the re- the extension, which was yep. a smaller extension, with at less money per year, um, or at at comparable money per year. They they deemed that a, a salary cap circumvention, but the NBA's request to void it was denied by an arbitration process, so it stuck. So he went one for one, and then six for twenty four and a half which is a gigantic number at this time in 1994, when Kukoc gets a $24 million contract from the bulls, Jordan had made 20 million total total in 10 years. Pippen had earned 11 million in eight years. So Kukoc was being guaranteed more than either Jordan or Pippen had made their entire careers. That's a good reason to hate the guy coming right into the, coming into your team. Again, there's no rhyme or reason to these contracts. They structured them however they felt. It was for for the length they, they determined and the price they determined. So you put that kind of price tag on this new European kid who sat there for two and a half years and played European ball, who the dream team absolutely destroyed, by the way. And now he comes to Chicago and gets this kind of money in front of these two superstars. Of course, there's going to be a problem. And it's, and it's a credit to Jordan and Pippen that it wasn't more of a problem, especially Pippen especially Pippen. This guy's getting more than double what Pippen made his entire career to this point. Um, again, this is, un- this is where the documentary missed on money because <laughs> it wasn't just that Kukoc was this young stud that came over. It's that he got bank. He got money from the bulls that these guys have been trying to get for 10 years and he just walked in the door and got it. So to me, that's crazy interesting that in the exact same year, 1994, Ron Harper gets 20 million over five years. <laughs> Ron Harper gets $20 million from the bulls and Jordan, yeah. Jordan had made 20, his entire career there again. And it's to your point, Jordan signed the eight year deal. It's his fault. Pippen signs a seven year deal. It's his fault. You lack control. But you, again, this goes back to my point as well, Scott, this is Jerry Krause doing things backwards. He is, he is putting role players financially above his superstars that is yeah, a, he was. that is a recipe for bad egos and bad and, and a disaster. And it's what he got. He got superstars that hated him because he did it this way. And it, and it took David Stern and this romance with the superstars in the league to understand that everybody's got to play nice with these superstars. You had to treat Kobe with reverence. You had to give, you know what I mean? LeBron, you have to do it that way so that it trickles down so that everybody knows their role financially speaking as well. And Cross screwed this up. He just flat out screwed it up. 
So yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at those 95 salaries. Jordan was at 3.85. Then Ku Coach was at 3.56. Yep. Ron Harper 3.12, and then Scotty at 2.925. And then right under then right under Scotty, you had Rodman at 2.5. I mean, it's we just know what nuts. Rodman, it's yeah. nuts. Can you imagine going to an NBA roster right now and seeing LeBron James or Steph Curry seventh on their team's list? Oh my God! Can you imagine? <laughs> No, I cannot it's imagine because it would never happen right now. And it's, it's not correct. It's not even that it wouldn't happen. It's not correct. The Brady thing is fine, but Brady was still one of the highest paid Patriots at, at all point in time. It's not like he was lower than the running backs. Do you understand right. what I'm saying? That they, they, they valued their positions properly in New England. They just did it on a prorated version. They didn't do it the same way the Giants or the Browns did it. Um, this is completely positionally struck or, or, or or uh, experience structured backwards is what it is. You can't have Pippen and Jordan in the middle of your payroll and expect everything to play nice. It's just not going to work that way. And yeah, we'll get to Robin here too. Robin made good coin. He made sick over $16 million in three years as a bull. And he showed up for practice whenever he felt like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we have to talk about this wrestling incident because I completely forgot yeah. about it. Completely forgot about it. I'm so glad it came Crazy. up. So he, he leaves, he leaves, he skips practice. He goes to this wrestling appearance in pajamas, by the way, he made 250 grand to, to make that appearance. He comes back. The NBA finds him 10,000. The bulls find him an undisclosed amount. And the story is that Jordan basically went to the, to the front office and to Phil and said, take every dollar of that 250 and disperse it across the rest of the bulls. Not only take it from him, but, but give it to us <laughs> to show him that th this has got to be about the team and whatever he thinks he can do, he can't do it. We, we don't know what happened to it, but we know all I know is he was, he was handed $250,000 to go and do that appearance. And that's why he went, <laughs> he went, he went cause he wanted to go have some fun and make a ton of money. So uh, I guess good for him because he's, it certainly didn't keep him off the roster the rest of the way, but he made 4.6 million in 97 during that last dance season, which it's more than almost the entire roster. It is second to Jordan. Jordan was 33.1. Robin was 4.6. Everybody else is below those two. That's crazy. Dennis Robin was 36 years old at the time. Mm. That's crazy. What the hell is Jerry Krause doing? <clears throat> what is he doing? I... Robin's always been a one trick pony. Oh yeah, he has defense I mean, only. You're not paying. Andre Iguodala more than Clay Thompson. That's what Jerry Krause is doing. <laughs> that's what Jerry Krause yeah. is doing here. It's right. so bonkers. Uh, that's why I wanted to have this show because I, you can, you can romanticize it. And, and it was awesome to see those 10 episodes, but you cannot justify the money. You just can't. And, and I don't even like the 33 million to Jordan. That's just stupid. And Sam Smith backs me up. I mentioned we were going to discuss his article. We can do it right now. Sam Smith basically wrote an article in June of 97. So five months before this, this last dance season started when it was made evident that Jackson was gone and this thing was going to break up. So Sam Smith basically said, all right, I'm going to put this thing to paper. I'm going to put it in the paper, the Chicago Tribune, my look at how they could structure this, this salary cap to prevent themselves from a breaking the team up now and, and still trying to compete in this year. And then B, try to transition in a winning manner, right? And in a manner that's not going to take them down to 45 wins over the next three years, which is what happened. 
he did a great job with this. I, it, there's a lot of hits and misses, of course, but for, you know, in June of 97, when there wasn't a lot of information out there to, to really back this up, Sam really did his homework to understand what was happening um, and what could have happened because he got a lot of this stuff right. <laughs> he just did. I mean, he was dead on with Bill Wennington coming back at about a million. Wennington got almost two. He got 1.8, but that's exactly what you should have done there. Keep it, keep it tempered. He's a role player. He, here's, here's where he differed greatly. And it's something I, I guess maybe I drifted off. I'm not sure if it was said in the documentary, Scott, let me know. Was it ever, it was a big deal when he said it in real life. Robin basically said in 97, he would come back and play for free. He said, I'll play for this team for free. That's how, how fun it is playing in this championship caliber uh, dynasty. Well, Sam Smith took him to his word and said, all right, if he's going to say that, let's hold him to it. Let's, let's put him <laughs> on a minimum salary, $250,000 contract and structure this so that everybody else, because, because as we just laid out, it ended up being that he played for 4.6 million, the second most in the entire team. Um, but that's something they could have done. They could have basically said to Rodman, if you're going to play, we can only do you the minimum, give you the minimum, because that's what a 36 year old who can only rebound really should be making. That's what running backs, yeah. 36 year old running backs make. They make the veteran minimum, right? So I, I, again, Sam Smith is dead on here. Give Dennis Rodman what he, not only he asked for, but what he, what structurally speaking, I, a GM should have done with him, which is demote him to a veteran minimum and let him come along for this ride and, and play his role. The other big change was he gave Scotty Pippen a $5 million per year extension. So Scotty Pippen is now making 5 million in, in 1997 instead of what was the actual number? 2.775. So mm-hmm. he essentially doubled Pippen's money. I think that's all it would have taken Scott. I don't think Pippen needed 8 million a year. He didn't need no. to go to the top of the of, of the charts. He just didn't need to do it. He was Yeah, been, you made a good you made a good point with that with the extent the first extension that he had yeah. with him saying that he, it was about the money, he needed the money. So if that's the case, incremental payments, right? Yeah, yep. you could have gradually increased him one more time for this third contract. Yeah, which is what normal GMs do. Uh he didn't do it. He of course let him play out the 2775 and then the signing trade but eight months later was uh, prevalent. So again, that's another miss that Sam Smith tried to note out. You couldn't, you couldn't allow Pippen to keep to play on two seven and then expect him to stay. That's exactly what happened. He allowed, he, he played it out and left. Uh, and then Jordan, of course, um, Jordan had just finished the year on the $30.1 million balloon payment in 96. Uh, Sam Smith basically said, all right, he's got his money. Now let's get him back down to, you know, to, to normal, to a normal salary and let's match him with Scottie Pippen. So Pippen and Jordan each make $5 million a year in 1997. So that's the big change because Jordan was, he, up, say, was he saying, give Jordan an extension too? No, it would have been a one-year deal. It would have been a one-year deal because the, the thinking was Pippen could take over from here to long-term. And, Jordan, and then you could let Jordan decide what he wanted to do on a year-by-year basis, which Jordan just said at the end of this documentary is what he wanted to do. Um, but I, I think aligning their salaries is exactly the right thing. That's exactly what should have happened. Uh, would Jordan have taken? I don't know. I mean, maybe this was it was too far so gone diff- and Jordan needed the uh, the bump. See, the difference in that in Michael versus Scotty in this case is Scotty was under contract already. Michael 
he he was signing with Bird Right, so they could sign him up to whatever they wanted to and be over the cap, whereas Scotty's already locked in for that ninety seven season anyway. So yep. um so Michael, like I said, they could have paid him 60 or whatever they wanted to, because there was no, the max was 99 million at that point. But I mean, even if they would have paid him five for psychological purposes with against with Scotty, I mean, he, they still were going to most likely be over the cap at that point. And they were, you know, but Smith Smith spoke to that. He spoke to it. He okay. basically said, cause I did the numbers here. You, you everything I just said. So you bring Jordan on to five, you up Scotty to five. So you double his money essentially with some kind of signing bonus or, or salary extension. Um, Wennington at, at about a million. And then your, uh, your, your minimum is below that. And then you drop Rodman 4.3 million down to the veteran minimum $250,000. So those major changes get you at about 30.4 million in cap. It was a $26.9 million salary cap that year. So they've got, they've got to shed about three and a half million dollars. And it was basically let's trade Luke Longley and one of the uh, one of the role players, Judd Buchler, Joe Klein, Kevin Booth, one of those players. Uh, you know, Longley was a big piece of it, but you're bringing back Wennington, and you could have just increased his role. Is what he's saying. It's not mm-hmm. the ideal. Obviously, you want depth, but there was a way. There was a pretty easy way to do this and get yourself under so that. And he gave reasons for it. And it wasn't just about get, keeping Pippen in the fold and making him happy financially. It was also about you get under so that you can get yourself into free agency next year, which we've talked about a lot, Scott. you got to get yourself into a good cap position to be able to yep. bring guys in. Well, one of the players who was going to become available next year in 98 was Kevin Garnett. <laughs> so if you're <laughs> trading Luke Longley in 97 and you're going to replace him with Garnett in 98 in free agency because you've opened up cap space, that's a pretty God good trade-off. Um, yes. And you start, you put him with a Pippen and a McGrady possibly or, or Pippen or a McGrady, right? Cause that's the other side of this. If you had traded, they hadn't, they hadn't traded Pippen yet. They could have traded mm-hmm. Pippen at this point, or do you trade Pippen and shed that salary, get yourself under, get yourself ready for free agency. And now you've got three first round picks who are going to be cheap assets, but good assets. Yeah. And you go from there. So Sam Smith's uh, his two approaches were basically, Bring Jordan down to earth financially after his $30 million payment. Bring Rodman way down to earth after his ridiculous salary. And then either trade Pippen or extend Pippen. Absolutely none of that happened. And that was the, that was the, that was the nail in the coffin. All of that combined was the nail in the coffin because you went all in in 97 with a premonition that it was not going to continue from that point on. And that was it. Everything was gone from there. So let's kind of, uh, Let's kind of finish this off with who went where and, and, and what happened just to finish off their career. We mentioned Steve Kerr, Scott. Why don't you, why don't you take the Kerr, uh, the Kerr route here? Yeah, so he, he signed with the Bulls in 93 as a free agent. He only signed a one-year deal, and um, it was only – Smart man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he signed that one-year sure deal. sure it works first. And it it was for like seven hundred fifty thousand, I think. Um, yeah. And then he he ended up re-upping for a four-year deal, showing that he could play. And um, he he uh, sorry, let me rephrase that: one hundred and fifty thousand in nineteen ninety three. So it was one for one hundred fifty thousand. Yep. And then four years, almost three million dollars uh, as a free agent coming back to the Bulls in ninety four. 
And then as Jordan said, you know, with that shot in 97, he earned his stripes. He was only making 750,000. <laughs> so he, he ended up being, I mean, he's 4 million what, less than Dennis Robin, by the way, just want to say like that ninth, ninth highest there, um, earn, earning a stripes. And then after the strike happened, he, they moved on from him. He did a sign and trade with San Antonio five years, 10.9 million. So pretty he, much the same time Pippen went, right? They, they pretty much got signed and traded together, exactly. right? Uh, yeah. Pippen, Kerr. Yep. They were both signed in trades. I, I believe there was one more sign in trade, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, they, they moved on from a lot of guys after that 97, 98 season. So from there, Rodman is released. He's his rights are renounced after the 97, 98 championship. He goes to the Lakers plays 23 games, base, barely tries, then goes to the Mavs in 99. He plays 12 games. He absolutely didn't try in Dallas. It's like the elephant in the room for the Mavs history that Rodman really never even showed up. Uh, so he was done. That, that, that championship was essentially the, uh, the penultimate of his career. Pippen, you mentioned, he goes to Houston. He's almost immediately traded to Portland. <laughs> they, they take on this contract, realize he's not near the guy that, that can lead that team. And they sent him to Portland for a pretty nice haul, actually. Um, but again, the, 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 the talk there is that Pippen just, the Bulls sent Pippen off after everything that they didn't do for him, and they got nothing back. They got absolutely nothing back in return for him, which is just, it's just crazy. I mean, if you think about the fact that Kevin Durant, we all knew Kevin Durant was gone, mm-hmm. and the Warriors still got a first-round pick to sign and trade him. That's nuts. They did. That's yeah. absolutely nuts. And a player. And a superstar. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. It's nuts. And then, and then flipped it. <laughs> and then flipped it. Um, so yeah, the other the other sign and trade was Luke Longley. So they after that lockout lifted, they signed sign and traded three. So Rodman released players. Kerr, Pippen, Longley traded, signed and traded. Jordan retires. Jackson walks away, takes a year off. Steve, uh, Tony Kukoc plays one more year. And then is traded three times in the next 18 months. His career is done. He's a complimentary shooter who really can't do much more than that at that point. He bounces around. Ron Harper plays the 98 season with the Bulls and then go, joins up with Phil Jackson in, on the Lakers for a couple of years. So he continues a bit of a career. And that's it. That's it. I mean, this thing is just total toast. And the Bulls, like I said, win 45 games over the next three seasons and really haven't been competitive ever, ever since. That's just... Uh, that's life in Chicago. But it, it, the interesting scenario, you look at post-1997 where all these guys have gone and with all the trades or, you know, they played one and then went somewhere else or traded multiple times after they were off the bowls. Phil was that glue. Uh, we <laughs> can re- say it again. We can say it again. He really that, was. That's the documentary we absolutely have to have next is – his version of this whole bulls run, what happened during that year off joining the Lakers. I mean, <laughs> shacking up with the owner's daughter. I mean, come on. I mean, this is a, mm-hmm. this is, I mean, the, the Kobe run, the Shaq run, just give me it all. Give me, give me the whole thing. I want as much of Phil Jackson as possible. Um, I'm on board with that. So that's next in my opinion, that's gotta be next. All right. Anything else on this bull stuff? Who was the, uh, who's the winner and loser of this financially? Mm. 
Mm. Financially, probably obvi- the obvious answer is Michael Jordan. I don't agree. Because <laughs> no, you don't think so. I, I do from the standpoint no. of he made he made way more off the court. Yeah. When we're saying financial, I'm thinking everything. He's made so much off the court because of what he did on the court, even though he didn't get paid essentially like we we talked about with the extension and everything. I mean, he's made hand over fist more than any of the guys. Probably if you added all the guys that were on that 97-98 team combined, he's probably making still way more than all those guys. So I think from that standpoint – he wins because of all the advertisements and Nike and and everything entailed it's fair. in the Michael Jordan brand. Look at we talked we talked about him I and mean, he's going to be a two billion dollar man soon, probably in a couple of months here. So there's there's no way I can contest that point, Scott. But if I'm, ju- I'm if I'm just talking basketball, if I'm just talking basketball, it's got to oh, be Rodman. I think, it's got to uh, be Rodman. Say, I was just going to say Rodman is definitely there is no world where Dennis Robin makes $16.1 million over three years in this no. era when Scottie Pippen didn't even make that in seven. Like, what are we and, doing and, here? And, and not only the financial aspect with that, but the antics, not, not almost none of these coaches right. right now would take those antics at all. all right. If you take the I fines mean, out of it, he made 15 and a half. All right. I mean, come on, but yeah, you're right. You're right. It, they had to put up with it. They had to, essentially use him loosely. I mean, he came off the bench for a lot of his, his roles in, in 96 and 97 because he just, he was a one trick pony and he was good. And you can, you can make the argument that you can't replace that. I don't know. I don't know. Can, can't you? It's not like he was pulling down 30 rebounds in 97 when he was making 5 million. I, I don't know. I, he was, he was a couple things. He took attention off Jordan number one. So I'm not going to discount that part of Dennis Rodman. And certainly he did what he did well, but if we're putting the money, if we're putting a price tag on all of the players we've mentioned today with this 97 bulls run, this last dance run, he made his surplus over his production is greater than anybody here. There's just no question. He made more than he was, than he produced by far. Um, and I'd probably put Kukoc next on that list. I think Tony Kukoc made a lot of money as a coveted European kid. And that's just probably what he, I mean, he was done after that. That was it. So I, uh, I'd put those two guys as the financial winners. There's, it's impossible to think that anybody but Scottie Pippen, I know Pippen made a good amount of coin when he left Chicago to sort of make up for it, even though he wasn't half the player he was as, as the, uh, subsidiary to Michael Jordan. But, and, and I'm not blaming the Bulls. I've done enough Jerry Krause shame today. I'm not going to blame the Bulls because these guys signed the contracts. Jordan signed that eight-year deal in 88. You can equate it to the, the young MLB players right now. You can equate it to Jerry Krause getting in his face and saying, this is what happens with young kids. You're, you're three years into this league. We can't give you $50 million yet. You know, Patrick Ewing got X, so you can only get Y. That's fine. But had he known that the absolute opposite approach could have made his life easier, could have made, could have tempered the egos of this team, possibly. That's, that's, I'm assuming that money would have fixed it. <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, could have kept this thing together for as long as they wanted. There wouldn't have to be a cutoff date like we got last night. 
Um, I, th- I think he yeah. would have done it. I think he would have added $20 million to that first Jordan contract and seen how it would have trickled down from there. But it didn't happen. The long-term deals really screwed the pooch on a couple of these guys, as we're seeing in hockey and all these, you know, baseball players. I mean, look at, you mentioned it, and Ronald Acuna signed an eight-year, $100 million contract. At what point in time is he going to hate that? <laughs> Tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, does he already, already hate it? Yeah, so we'll see. Because um, there's nothing to say that the baseball contracts you reference aren't going to be just as disastrous to the player in a couple of years. All right. Uh, it, real quick. Yeah. F- fun stat here. 1997, you mentioned Rodman's rebounds. Take a wild guess how many rebounds he had in it, during regular season. Total rebounds. Total. So not per to- game. Total rebounds. No, total rebounds. How many games did he end up playing? Did he play all 82? Uh, he ended up playing... 80 games started 66 I, and I'll get, I'll give you this much. He is 224 more rebounds than the number two in 97 in 97. So, yes. so I'm a jerk right now. That's what you're saying. I'm a huge jerk. <laughs> Tim, <laughs> Tim Duncan was at number, number two. Oh, young Tim Duncan too. Um, if I, if I make it, I mean, he had at least 10 a game. Did he have 10 a game? Mm, no, that's way too high. Did he have 10 a game? Uh, more than that. Did he have 15 a game? 15 a game. Holy God. These, these rebound stats are unbelievable. 36 years old, he had 15 rebounds a game. Mm-hmm. How many points per game? Was it six? Did he have six? Mm. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. It's still not worth 5 million though. Still not worth 5 million. So what's your guess? Well, if he's 15 a game, he averaged 80 and he had 80 games. You can do the math. 1200. Yeah. 1200. Yeah. Well, 1201. 1201. Yeah. Next closes with Duncan at 977. Crazy. Oh my God. Well, I apologize to Dennis Rodman. Kind of still not worth 5 million. It, no, it's just, it, it's interesting when you actually go back and look at the numbers and you're more actually, shocked. I don't apologize because even if he's worth 4.6 million, he, do, he shouldn't be the second highest paid bull. And that is the argument I'm making. He should not have been second on that team. No, you're right. I mean, the, the points and they sort of hit it, hinted on it in that last episode with him shooting that free throw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a miracle that he made both. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, uh, uh, final thoughts. I, I enjoyed the documentary. I, I almost wish there was a little bit more to, to go into. I get why certain logistics and whatnot, you can't go into more than what they did. But I, th- I think it was eye-opening, and I think it is going to be go down as one of the best documentaries for sure. I like it. I like it. Do you, do you think they should have tried for a seventh, or were you good with them stopping? Um, I, I, I was good with them stopping. Okay. I really, am. All right, fair I, enough. I think I'm, yeah, go out on top. I mean, obviously there's the risk, but my, my final answer is I'm good with where they ended. Okay. Here's my final tidbit. My stat of the day for you. Jordan made $33.14 million in 1997 for adjusting for inflation. What is that now in 2020? Oh, I don't know. What? 60? $53 million. So it's as if Steph Curry made $53 million this year. 
No big deal. It's actually, no. pretty, it's actually pretty close. What is our highest yeah. salary right now? 39, 38. I think it's 38. Um, total cash in 2000, 40.2. 40. 40. Yeah. So it's about, 40. It's about yeah. 12 million less than what? Jeez. It's a lot of money. It that's, is. That's a lot of money. You, and that's back. I mean, that, that's when the cap was, or the maximum was at 99 million. Imagine if we were at 99 million right now. I mean, <laughs> it, it put, puts an interesting caveat because the money aspect is way more honed in now than it was back then. So let's try to figure it out. We'll finish on this nerdiness. Ready? So the cap was 27 million then, and the max was 99 million. I'm going to give you some math to do. What, what percent of that, what percent ahead of the cap is that? 99 million versus 27 million. 280%. More. Okay. So, so that's the number then that we, that we bring into the current cap, which is 109 and change. So what's, what's 280% more than 109 million? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I do. 305. <laughs> That's unbelievable. If, if that was in the CBA, like, <laughs> like, yeah, your cap's 109, but you can pay up one of your current players with bird rights up to 305 million if you want. Yeah. Unbelievable. It is. I guess that's how the, uh, the Knicks could win though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My thanks to the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your yearly subscription. My thanks to fantasy pros. Time to start thinking fantasy sports as these states start to reopen. Visit fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl to get going on mock drafts, rankings, DFS optimization, and plenty more. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.